Dear Jesus, we just want to thank you again that you are always with us. Wherever we go, wherever we are, you are faithful, you are present. And today, during this hour, we ask that you would once more invest yourself in us as only you can do. Speak to our hearts, lead us to trust you more. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as each of us lives our lives, we are living a story. You know, we just think I'm just going through the daily routines, but the truth is our lives are all a story. We are writing that story day by day, and our stories matter. And I want you to realize today that your story is not only your story, but it is also God's story. Because you are living God's story every day of your life because He's involved in your life, He's responding in your life, and you are living a life with grace. And so as you live your life with all of its ups and its downs, you're living by the grace of God and, and His character, His grace, and His life lived in you is a part of your story and a part of your testimony. The Bible is full of people who lived regular lives, sometimes good lives, sometimes troubling lives, but all of their lives are shared with us as testimonies of the character and the grace of God. And that's what we read in our Bible. The Bible is not a book of theories, and it's not a, a book just of principles. It's a book filled with God interacting with His people, living their lives in response to Him. And our lives are like that today. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in writing to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 3, he says, you are our epistle, or our letter, written in your hearts, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Over the next several weeks, all of the pastors of Forest Lake are going to participate in telling our story. Eleven weeks, each of us taking a turn. And we hope to be able to not only tell you parts of our story, our experience with God, but we hope that in telling our story and how God is at work in our lives, that we will encourage you, inspire you, give you the strength to tell your story. Because all of our stories matter. All of our stories are a testimony for who God is, not just who we are. And so we want to encourage you to be thinking about how to tell your story to someone, someplace, as a testimony for God. This is my story. A few weeks ago, some of you were gone to camp because it was the weekend that we had our church retreat at camp. Some were gone, some were here. But a few weeks ago, when I stood here and preached that Sabbath, I told you the story of when I gave my life to Jesus, sitting on the edge of a ball field over on the campus of Forest Lake Academy. I was a student there, and through the impression of numbers of people, some teachers and some students and people in my life, pastors, I had come to the place in reading the book Steps to Christ that I knew the time was to give my life completely to Jesus, and I did that, never looking back. 
A few years later, I would be a freshman biology major at what is now Southern Adventist University. Yes, I started as a biology major. And I was pretty good at it, actually. I enjoyed it. And during that freshman year, as I was studying biology, even taking a second year class, my first year, microbiology, I, um, I began to hear God calling me to full-time ministry. It was not something I was looking for, and I had a lot of questions for God. And I prayed about those, and I talked with God a lot, and along the way, He convinced me that I needed to accept that calling to be a pastor for the rest of my life. And as you know, I said yes to that call. And why I stand here today. What you wouldn't know, it is in the spring of that same year, and when I had just accepted a call into ministry, changed my major to theology, in that same school year, my father was diagnosed with lung cancer. He was treated, in those days it wasn't the same as today, he was treated with radiation and other things, and he fought that battle with cancer for most of a year. And when I came home the following Christmas from school, from college, the cancer had spread to not only affect his lungs, but it had now gone to the brainstem. And he could no longer swallow by choice. He lost control of several of these automatic functions. And by that Christmas, before I returned to school in January, back to Southern, in the middle of my sophomore year, I had to help my mother and my sister make a decision to take my father off of life support. I was not 20 years old yet, and he died January 7 of that year. Now, I don't know if you have had to face the kind of question that came into my heart and my mind at that time. The questions that sound something like, God, if you are good, why do you let bad things happen to your people? I had just decided to follow the Lord in ministry. My, my, my father, only a few years before, had been rebaptized and decided to be more fully engaged in the church and become involved in following God. And it was hard to understand why a good God would allow bad things happen to good people. And so I went searching. I went looking for that answer. I asked a lot of questions. I studied. I prayed. I wrestled for some time. And what I found in my search may not be what you found. Some of you may be asking this question still. But what really stood out to me and helped me the most with that question was in the book of Job. Now, if you have studied the book of Job or tried to read the book of Job, it can be really confusing. Because the book of Job is full of long prose with a lot of questions, a lot of uh, different opinions, because Job has his friends that have these, all their own opinions. 
But Job, you can get lost in the weeds really easily. So I want to try to summarize for you what I found in the book of Job that gave me courage. So you have to start, first of all, Job 1, verses 1 through 3. I I didn't tell him to put it on the screen, but I'm going to read it quickly. It's the starting point. You probably know this. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. And he had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had large numbers of servants. And he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. What a great man. But Job's is a story of a man who lost everything. In one day, we're told, that all of his animals, all of his servants, all of his children were killed and taken from him. And Job says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I don't know if you could find your way to say that. And then, as if it wasn't enough, Job was afflicted with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. So not only had he lost everything that had mattered to him, he was now suffering in pain. And if anyone had the reason to say, why God, Job had a reason. And then the hardest part of the story begins to happen. You think it would be hard enough already, but no, no. The hardest part is not what he lost. The hardest part is not the suffering of his pain of his skin. The hardest part is when his three friends arrive. And you may not have three friends like this, But my guess is that you have a voice in your own head that says the same things these friends said. And you know what the friends said? Over and over again, they kept going back and forth. All over and over again, the friends kept saying, you must have done something wrong. You must have angered God because he's taken it out on you. That was what his friends said. How helpful they were. You know, Job, you know, just go ahead and give up because God's done this to you. You've angered him and And Job argues back with his friends. And again, there's a lot of difficult phrases and stuff that you can get lost in, but here's the summary of what Job was trying to say. Job was not defending his own character. Job would be willing to say, look, I'm not a perfect man. But Job, instead of defending his own character, Job defends the character of God. Job says, I don't know what's happened here. I can't explain it. But I don't believe that God is the one who's doing this to me. So, rather than having doubt, he defends. And I guess three friends isn't enough because when he's done with these friends and they've run out of things to say, and these are the old friends he's had for a while, the youngest one shows up. Uh, this is a guy who is the youngest of all, 
because we all know that young people have more answers than older people. And he comes and he basically says that. He says, you guys don't know anything. Listen to me, Job. I know more than the rest of them. And he continues the same kind of an argument. Job, God's done this to you and you might as well just admit it and get over it. Just, you know, acknowledge that God is doing this to you and maybe God will somehow help you understand. Job says, no, no. In all of Job's suffering, he gets this right. Job chooses to place his trust in God no matter what. And here's what he said. I'm going to read this to you in two different versions. First of all, the New King James Version. He says this, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And even so, I will defend my own ways before him. And then the NIV, the New International Version Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. It's kind of like um, the story in Daniel, the three Hebrews who are being challenged by the king to bow down or go into the fiery furnace. You remember what they said? They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So no matter what happens, God could take it all away. At any moment, he could do that. But even if he doesn't, I'm going to still serve God. Job says, I can't explain all the things. It's actually part of what God's answer is to him later in the book. God says, where were you when I set apart the world and I made the water stop at the shore? And he has all these illustrations to Job. Where were you? So what do you know? Job says, I don't know anything. But I do know this. I'm going to put my trust in you. So after Job has been accused by his friends of deserving God's wrath, Job says what may be the very key words to the entire story. It's found in Job 19. And if you don't understand anything of the book of Job because it's full of all this debate and argument, I hope you will understand these words. Because this is the heart of the whole story. In Job 19, verse 23 and following, he says, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know my Redeemer lives, and that in the end He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, and yet in my flesh I will see God, for I myself will see Him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. You see, in those days, 
If you wanted something written to last a long time, you would carve it out in stone and then you would drip inside there the molten lead. And the lead would keep the rock, the stone, from eroding over time. And so if you wanted your record to last a really long time, a scroll wasn't going to last very long. It would eventually rot. But if you took stone and engraved it and put down lead, it's going to last a really long time. So Job goes for the long game here. Job says, you may not know this or understand it anytime soon. He's talking to his friends. I can't explain it to you, he says. You're not going to see the answer. It may be a long time, but I know this. Someday, someday my story is going to be shown. And in that day, my Redeemer who lives is going to stand up on my behalf. And I will be not just vindicated, but God himself will be vindicated. Because I know that my God has not done this to me. And this is how I decided to respond to my father's death early in my life. Whatever happens, I will trust God. Whatever happens, I'm going to believe in Him. I will place my hope in Jesus because I know my Redeemer lives for me and I will trust Him. Years later, ten years later about, when I was a little more than 29 years old, a pastor in Plantation, Florida, I came down with a cough that wouldn't go away. Went to the clinic and they gave me antibiotics and um, I took antibiotics for two weeks and my cough was getting worse, not better. So I went back and they decided to do an x-ray. And when they did the x-ray, the technician actually wasn't very professional. They, they came out and said, have you ever had part of one of your lungs removed? I'm like, uh, no, I never had that. It wasn't a very good sign. What they found out was that I had, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, a form of cancer in my lymph nodes. I had a growth in my chest that was blocking the flow of the lymph fluids around in my chest, and what had happened is one side, one lung, the, the area around your lung had filled up fairly ha about halfway with this fluid that couldn't move anywhere. And they ended up taking almost a quart of fluid out of the pleural area around my lung, which was causing my coughs. But it wasn't really the problem. The problem was the cancer that was in my lymph nodes. And so I spent some time going through treatment. I was scared. By then I had two very young sons, you saw one of them. And I had lost my father and my mother-in-law to cancer by then. And so I knew what it could mean. I spent six months in chemo treatments. It made me very sick every time nauseated in ways that I couldn't describe for you. 
And after the chemo treatments for six months, I continued through six more months of radiation. Radiation that created second-degree burns in my skin in certain places where it was accumulating. And even through that time, because of the loving church that prayed for me, I somehow, and I still don't know how, I, I managed to preach just about every week throughout that. But you know, when I had that experience, I already had the answer. I didn't have to go through the questions all over again. I didn't have to ask God, why me? Because I already knew. It's not about me. God still loves me, and I'm still going to put my trust in Him. Though He slay me, Yet I will hope in him. Strangely enough, during that time when I was recovering, going through all those treatments, they decided to give me a CT scan to see how the cancer treatment was going and see if I was getting rid of all of those tumors in my lymph system. And when they did the CT scan, checking out all over in my body, they discovered the next big challenge that I would face in my health. What they found was that I had cysts in my kidneys, like fluid-filled pockets, like Swiss cheese. They told me that I had polycystic kidney disease, a slowly progressing disease, genetic disease that would eventually destroy my kidneys. A very slowly progressing disease. And so for the next 30 years, I would wait knowing what was coming knowing that eventually I would lose all the function of my kidneys and that eventually I would need dialysis and transplant. By 2014, my kidneys had failed enough to be placed on a transplant list at Advent Health or Florida Hospital at the time. And this is a long waiting list. In April of 2017, I was placed on peritoneal dialysis. You can look it up. I'm not going to gross you out with all the details. And by God's grace, I ended up only doing that for a short time. I know many people live like that for year after year after year, and my heart goes out to them because it was no fun. August 21, 2017, I received the call in the middle of the night that my kidney was there and I would receive my transplant that day. Some of you might remember that day because there was an eclipse of the sun early in the afternoon that day. I missed it because I was in surgery. Now it's been almost five years, coming up on an anniversary in August. Five years from that gift being given to me. And today again, I am having some trouble with the function of that gifted kidney. I won't go into details, but I've done everything the doctors have said. And now I have about half the function of that kidney. And basically nothing from my original two that are still there. And that's why they put a chair up here. Because I fatigue very easily. 
and I wake up tired in the morning. I've been there before. I know what this feels like. I know what's ahead. But you already know what I believe. I put my hope in Jesus. No matter what happens, my trust is in God. What about you? I have learned to love these words of Paul found in his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. In the New Living Translation, I just love this translation. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to the sharing of God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Some versions say we find joy in suffering. Those are hard words. So we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. How's your endurance? And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to this disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Friends, whatever is going on or has happened in your story, I want to remind you today, it is not your story alone. It is God's story being displayed in your life. And because it is his story, it is a story worth telling. Here's what I want you to take with you today. Tell your story to someone. Maybe a friend who doesn't know how you have trusted in God. Maybe a coworker or a neighbor. Your testimony is your most powerful influence to explain God's grace and his faithfulness. Even though he may not take away all your suffering and trials, others need to see your endurance, which leads to strength of character and develops our confident hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God dearly loves us and has given us Jesus in whom we can place all our trust. This is my story. What is yours?